RadioInfluence.com. What is up? We are back for a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is my guy, Daniel Galvan. Daniel, happy Wednesday morning. How's it going, man? Man, it is going great. We have a whole lot of MMA in the back rear view mirror window, etc. And in the front, we got some good stuff going on. But uh, God, we can't go a month without a stupid Connor story, can we? I mean, Jesus Christ, Jason. This is ridiculous. So that's where I really wanted to start off this episode is talking about Conor McGregor because little did I think I would be sitting at Father's Day dinner and my grandmother would go, hey, Jason, have you seen this Conor McGregor story? Yes, Grandma, I have seen this story. I, I would have never thought this would come up at Father's Day dinner. Yeah, or with your grandma. Like, I would never think that you would talk to your grandma about the ultimate fighting championship, but... Here, here we are. It's a, it's, it's a national story. It's a crazy story, and it's just another story in, in a man who's had so many incidents. Outside of her asking, hey, how's the podcast doing, whatnot, mixed martial arts has never come up. So when she brings this story up, and of course we all know the story with Conor McGregor and the accusations that are out there, I was kind of like, in my head, I'm like, how did you hear about the story? And I think it, it just kind of made me realize of, you know, I know the television station she watches, so it tells me that those those television stations have been covering the Conor McGregor story. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's a, it's a story that has a lot of things that make it pop. It happened at an NBA Finals game where he got accused of assaulting this lady in the restroom. It has surveillance footage of them going to the restroom and now at them at the club afterwards. He's one of the most famous athletes in the world. It's a very juicy story. and It's a story that I think has probably got a lot of play at any news outlet, any national news outlet, maybe local also in Florida since it happened in Miami. So it, it was a big story, and we'll see. I don't know where this story goes next because – as you follow it, it's a very messy situation, and it's hard to clearly come down on one side or the other. Um, I think clearly, if it's proven that he um, assaulted this lady in the restroom, he should be out of the UFC and probably behind bars because that's a crime. Like you, like that is a straight up crime. We should live in a society where if you don't give consent to someone, they don't have sex with you. I mean, that should be a pretty simple tenet of any society. And it doesn't matter if you're a UFC champion, you aren't entitled to that. Uh, so he should be behind bars if that was actually happened and if it's proven. It, the way I look at it now, how it's playing out in the media, it's very hard to, to get a sense over what took place. But it's not, it's not our job to decide that. Um, all I got to say is I'm disappointed in Connor for even putting himself in that position in the first place. Look, at the end of the day, we weren't in that room, so we have no idea what happened. And, and, I, and I said this to my grandmother. I said, because of his history, you can't give him the benefit of the doubt. We, we, we know all the stories that are out there with him. And so we'll see how this thing plays out. 
um, you know, does the Miami Police Department file any charges at any point? Is this ultimately a, a civil matter um, you know, in, in terms of that? But like I, I said to my grandma, I'm like, I'm really not surprised because we've been down this road with Conor McGregor multiple times. Literally, if you go to Conor McGregor's Wikipedia page and you scroll down and you scroll past the part that talks about his mixed martial arts career, you have the controversy section. And in the controversy section, there's 13 different sections within it. Jason, we're talking driving offenses, incident at Bellator, bus attack at UFC 223, a Dublin sexual assault allegation in March 2019, a Florida robbery arrest in March 2019, Dublin pub assault, Corsica arrest, Altercation with Machine Gun Kelly, alleged attack on Francesco Fancinetti, alleged attack on a yacht where he was accused of assaulting a woman. Uh, the same day in Miami, punching a mascot and an alleged sexual assault. He's got 13 sections. That's three more things. than like He has 10 wins in the UFC. He has more controversies than wins he's had in his legendary career in the UFC. The man is out of control regardless of what happened in this past instance. He has that long track record where clearly he has made a lot of mistakes because he hasn't held himself to, to, to account. When you get really famous, you can think the world revolves around you and you are entitled to all these things. But if you don't have a real one in your corner telling you, hey, quit acting like a complete dummy, or if you can't hold yourself accountable, like a lot of these other top athletes in our sport do, right? Amanda Nunez, a, a legend, she has held, she has performed as a great human being outside of the cage. Israel Adesanya has done the same. Stipe Miocic in his off time is a freaking firefighter. You know these great fight. You know Francis, a great guy outside of the cage. All these great fighters have not been consistently accused of crimes the way Connor has. So that does tell you Connor is doing something wrong. And, and when you look at from the the fighting aspect, I don't know if you saw this, Michael Chandler had a video on his Twitter account where he's frustrated. I, I think there's no question about it. And uh, what he said was, he goes, all right, guys, you guys have all seen the news. Connor's not in USADA. 170 nine days left until December 16th, which is supposed to be the last pay-per-view of the year. And comically, you saw it shows up at my door today to add insult to injury. Where are you at, boy? And I get if you're, if you're Michael Chandler, this has got to be... You, you put yourself on the sideline for potentially, most likely, the biggest payday of your career. And... It ultimately, the question I think we all have for Conor McGregor outside of what's going on with him outside of his fighting life is why don't you re-enter re the USADA drug testing pool? Because perception is going to be people are going to think you're not a clean fighter. Yeah, especially when you look at how he's changed his body. He, he's put on a lot of muscle mass and it's hard not to think he's taking some type of performance enhancing drug. We live in a climate where we are less critical of people who cheat like that than we were when Vitor Belfort was doing it on TRT. Mm -hmm. I mean, when Vitor Belfort was doing it on TRT, he was he was a pariah in 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 MMA culture. 
Now Connor is basically blatantly cheating. We don't have any proof of that either. But the fact that he hasn't gotten back in the USADA pool and he's put on so much muscle mass leads one to believe that he's doing something that he doesn't want to pop up on a test. So it's like, wow, we have given, we have just kind of not really uh, treated him like the possible cheater that he is in that aspect. I'm just a little tired of the Connor situation between the, the uh, what happened in Miami. And it's just, to me, it's just, it's just enough. It's just, he's a black cloud over the UFC. He's a poor representation of being a UFC fighter of the brand. And is it worth making a lot of money for one night? I don't know. The UFC makes a lot of money already because they signed that deal with ESPN. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can afford not to have Conor McGregor fight. They have made the promotion about the brand. And it's something I don't really like, but it's something that pays off where they don't have to get bent over backwards with a guy like Conor McGregor. Um, at the end of the day, I'll be real with you. My gut instinct is he does fight again, and he probably does fight Michael Chandler, and they probably do fight in January, or somehow USADA changes the rules to where he doesn't need to do the 180 days or, or whatever. Um, that's my gut instinct. That's being an observer of the sport for a long time. Mm-hmm. My gut instinct is the story is going to get forgotten, and he's going to fight again. I don't, I, I don't know if that's a right or wrong thing, to be honest, because – if he didn't commit that crime, then he should be allowed to do anything. But if he did commit that crime, he shouldn't be allowed to fight. That's kind of where I'm at here. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw John, I want to say it was John Nash who brought this point up, talking about, and I don't want to say I saw it maybe sometime last week, and kind of related to he, he was inferring that maybe something related to the Mark Hunt case is kind of relation to this of why probably the UFC is going to want to see Connor do the, the full six months of, of testing. I mean, look, Henry Cejudo did it. Um, you know, and to me is like, if you're a clean fighter, why not just reintroduce a drug testing pool? I mean, that, that's, that's just where I'm at is like, look, perception is not always reality, but we've seen this stuff with Connor McGregor. Um, let's, Can let's, I just say real quick before yeah. we move on? That documentary is a crock of shit. I mean, <laughs> this documentary about Connor being this great family man. He, I'm sure he's a great per- family man, but like the documentary didn't go into the fact that he also is a really bad family man whenever he goes to an NBA game with a woman in a restroom. Yeah. I mean, even if that's like going in there to have like consensual, you know, situation, you still got kids and a fiance. <laughs> like. And you're doing that in a public setting at an NBA Finals game. If you're if you're a family member of him, if you're his brother, his an older family member or a younger family member, what you, what are you thinking if you're a kid and you see your dad getting accused of sexual assault going into a restaurant? So yeah, that that documentary was a fun documentary to watch because it was good video and it was you know nice to get a little inside look at stuff. But by and large, if you were looking for an accurate representation of who Conor McGregor was, you didn't get it with that documentary. No, no. Um, I want to turn things over to Bellator. Of course, they had their event last week in Chicago. But to me, the biggest takeaway from the weekend was actually before the fights of when Scott Coker flats out admit, yeah, Bellator's on the market. And this is something that 
we've talked about and it's very, very well known, but like, it's one of those things of, and I, and I watched the clip and, and kudos to Nolan King from MMA Junkie for asking the question. And I watched the clip several times and my biggest thought from what Scott Coker said is I always view Scott Coker as there's a method to what he does. And I almost feel like it was people above him telling him if this question is asked, here's how we want you to answer it. And I feel like it was Coker and Viacom's way of telling all the parties that have had conversations about buying Bellator, get your best offer together, folks. We're ready to make a move. Yeah, because Scott is so tight-lipped. I mean, he will do a whole interview without saying anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know in, uh, t- give me a call in two, three weeks. I'll let you know. That's exactly. the Scott Coker line. Yeah, he know like he's a very smart man in terms of knowing what information is going to get out there, protecting it, keeping it away. So clearly, this thing is moving and it's probably moving fast. Who knows? By the time we record next week, Bellator could be sold to the PFL, could have a new owner. It, it's clear that Bellator is going to have not be under the Viacom banner pretty soon. It's really crazy to see Scott talk about it so frankly and obviously we also heard from the pfl side i mean it seems like a pretty close conclusion that we're getting to with the pfl buying bellator man and uh it's interesting i mean then pfl will clearly be the number two promotion in america i i i just i wonder what that landscape is going to look like um because if that does happen the non-UFC landscape will be forever changed. And now it's just a question of whether this joint promotion will get enough momentum to get a, get a, get any type of following in America, any type of consistent following. To me, and I would, I would still be relatively surprised if PFL and Viacom come to an agreement to purchase Bellator. I, I just would be kind of surprised about it. But, like, if that were to happen, and, and I think that would be good from a, a combat sports aspect, is my thing to the PFL is be is you you got to have MMA people running the promotion. You, you can't, like, to me, if, I, if, if they were to merge, and if my advice to PFL would be is either Scott Coker or Mike Kogan is running that organization. You, you can't have, I'm, like, look, Peter Murray and, and and Don Davis, they are great sports business people, but they got to get someone in there that knows how to run a mixed martial arts promotion because the reality is PFL can come to Tampa, Florida. It can come to the Rio Grande. The odds of them being able to put butts in the seats is not likely unless they get local ticket sellers. And, and you see that with PFL. Like that to me would be is if you're a PFL and you buy Bellator, you got to have people who understand the fight industry to run that promotion. And I'm sorry, nothing against Ray Cepho. You need someone else better that knows how to run a mixed martial arts promotion. I do agree. I think if that does happen, Scott Coker should be brought aboard. But I will say that I haven't been impressed with Scott Coker's Bellator run. To me, it it the Strike Force run of Scott Coker was very impressive. Mm-hmm. The Bellator run has had its peaks and valleys. It has had some really great moments, but the promotion has never meant less, and has been like that since COVID. I mean, the pandemic 
to me, this promotion, Bellator, has handled the pandemic really poorly in terms of being a part of the conversation of mixed martial arts fans. Yeah. And it, and yeah, so I'm not, I haven't been impressed with Scott, but Scott is someone that I have so much respect for that. I would still put him in that position and have confidence. He would do a really good job. And as you said, he has the MMA perspective of putting butts in seats in these arenas, putting cards together like that. You know, when you look at some of the ticket sellers that they get on the Bellator card, they're not that less talented than some of the people we saw fight this past weekend at PFL 5. I mean, PFL 5 was littered with some really good fighters, but some of the matchups were mismatches, and it was a case in point with how many quick finishes we had. So I, I do agree. Um, I'm a little more optimistic about the idea of this happening than you. I really do feel like PFL is going to buy Bellator or something of that nature because – they, to me, have the most to gain from adding all of these talented fighters to their roster. It's just, to me, a really big free agent acquisition. And if you can add Scott Coker, that's even bigger. I mean, the thing that PFL has is a good broadcast deal and clearly a steady flow of money coming in for investment. Those are two pretty good things. So if you can combine those aspects with all the good that Scott Coker and Bellator brings, I think you have a much more significant mixed martial arts promotion. They're going to be able to put on more fight cards that casual fans care about. I would like to see the Bellator fighters back in a tournament format, in a season format. You you start to take all these weight classes in Bellator, like Bantamweight and Featherweight and Lightweight, and you put them in a tournament-type situation like in PFL, that's actually a pretty interesting proposition. Yeah, you know, the one thing about PFL, and obviously we, we talked about the big million-dollar payday, but when you look at the salaries that were released by the Georgia State Athletic Commission, it's another example of why fighters are going to the PFL. Like, Larissa Pacheco, if she was signed by the UFC today, is she making 50000 a show, 50000 a win? I think the answer is no. I don't think so, no. No, I, I doubt it. I really doubt it. She's probably fighting on the apex and probably not making that much. It, it, would the UFC pay Jorgen DeCastro $50,000 show? Hell no. I don't know if he showed up at PFL 5, but uh, yeah, hell no. I mean, I mean he went I mean, Yeah, Aspen, yeah, Jorgen. Aspen Ladd, she made fifty, you know, 100000 total, fifty k to, to show, fifty k to win. I don't know if she gets that in the UFC. Like, this no. is why fighters are going to the PFL is because PFL is going out there. By the way, I mean, I, I got to ask, are you doing okay? Your guy, Maurice Green, uh, did not make the playoffs? I'm not doing okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess to, to make the playoffs, you have to get a first-round finish. And uh, both him and uh, Ante, Ante Delajal, the guy who beat him in the main event, not in the playoffs. I'm sad. My prediction that Maurice Green is going to headline the first ever PFL pay-per-view, or second ever PFL pay-per-view, excuse me, uh, with uh, Francis Ngannou is not going to come to fruition. It was a close decision loss, Jason. All right. He looked good in round one. Things didn't go off great in round two and three. But, uh, yeah, this, um, this PFL heavyweight tournament, yeah, it's going to come down to Dennis Goldsoff and, and Brandon Ferreira, and that's probably going to be a first-round finish. Um, I Look, straight up, I enjoyed PFL 5. Honestly, PFL 5 may have been the most fun fight card of the weekend, dude, straight up. Only because, like, 
on Bellator, I'll be honest with you, Pitbull and Pettis was kind of let me down there. That was a real technical chess match. I had to put on my like my my hardcore MMA nerd glasses and be like, "Oh, this is quite good. Uh, this is quite technical." Like, nah, bro. Straight up, I was kind of bored most of it. And, but and yeah, in that fight, I feel like it was probably about the third round. I was like, "Pitbull's not going to do this." Like, yeah, it, there was just it was that moment of the of, of the fight, watching the fight live, that I was just like. This is Sergio Pettis' night. And, and and by the way, God loves Sergio Pettis and his brutal honesty after the fight is over, talking about how he had doubts that he could win the fight. I mean, like, how often do you hear a fighter just be that brutally honest with the media? It's just something that, that doesn't happen. Um, but also he's, he's, he's special. He's a special guy. If they can if they can communicate his personality to the masses he's so relatable when he talks about his self-doubt and also by the way i know i sh- i just crapped on the fight i'm super impressed with sergio that was an amazing uh striking performance like to, to do that against pitbull is, is is wow i'm just saying like I, I wasn't entertained but that has like who cares about me that was a hell of a performance against a legend he should be proud of that yeah i mean it, it's one of these things of if this is three, four, five years ago, I just don't feel like you would have an athlete coming out and talking about self-doubt. You know, it's just, it's a topic that even though we all know athletics is so much mental, I mean, obviously there's a huge physical component of what uh, athletics are, but, you know, and, and, you know, I guess you probably, I mean, to me, I think the cinema moment in sports, I go back to the Kevin Love situation a couple of years ago when, when he talked about his mental health. And and it's, it's just, I, I feel like, you know, five years ago, this is a conversation that probably doesn't happen. And, and understanding and, and looking, and I've, you know, done countless amount of fighter interviews. And yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many guys have said, talked to me about the mental side of this game. And it can just be a mind F. But you know, something I want to mention about PFL, you know, we talked about last week about how Brandon Laughlin, Chris Way don't make the playoffs. I mean, how about at women's featherweight? Aspen Ladd and Julia Budd both don't make the playoffs. Yeah, man, that is crazy. It, it Again, it shows you that with PFL, it pays to finish. It, it just it, it pays to finish a fight, bro. Like – Aspen got a win here, second round finish, but she needed that first round finish. And um, yeah, it's uh, Lee Brock even makes the uh, makes the playoffs after getting finished in the first round by Pacheco. So we have seen a lot of surprising names uh, not make it in. I think the other one is um, you know a heavyweight is probably Scheffel. Is mm-hmm. the other one I was kind of surprised along with Anti and Maurice Green. I mean Jordan Heiderman made the playoffs. Way to go for him. That was a really nice moment to see it. But at the end of the day, it, it comes down to either you need to get two victories and make sure at least one of them is a third-round finish or better, or you need to get one first-round finish to make these playoffs. That's kind of what we learned at PFL 5. And, again, we just saw – it was exciting because we saw a whole lot of first-round finishes. We saw three on the main card, three on the preliminaries, although one of them wasn't that exciting. One of them was a, was an injury to Patrick Brady. Mm-hmm. And in the Heiderman fight, but uh, all I gotta say is like the one dude that impressed me the most was was Goltzoff against Jorgen De Castro. Uh, he to me, that dude is is awesome. 
Now, look, PFL is doing a lot of great things, but we did have a negative story on the PFL come out uh, via Guillermo Cruz at MMAfighting.com. And, well, Souza, who is a part of the Challenger Series, is suing PFL after the PFL stopped him from signing for Dana White's Contender Series. And the article talked about how he signed to fight the PFL Challenger Series earlier this year, hoping to get a spot in the tournament this year, but wasn't offered a deal despite winning a split decision. Um, and this was a quote from him. He goes, they put me, they put me as a backup, but that wasn't my goal. I told them I wouldn't do it. I train really hard every day. I live in the gym and I'm chasing my dreams. My dream is to fight in the UFC and the Dana White contender series offer came, but PFL wants to keep me locked. I thought I was free to fight anywhere else, but that isn't the case. They will not let me go. And the PFL did not respond to comments on this one. So not, not a great look for the PFL in terms of this, of, of stopping someone going there. But if he's under contract and, you know, it, it, it's one of those things of when I, see, when I saw that story initially, my thought was there was probably a lot of dialogue behind the scenes. But this ultimately is not a good look if you're the PFL. Yeah, I mean, it, look. Do not sign a PFL Challengers contract for three years. Uh, did you hear that, fighters? Do not sign a PFL Challengers contract for three effing years. That's crazy. Yeah. To me, yeah, it's not a good look for the PFL. They should probably just let the dude out to go fight the Dana White Contender Series. But also, like, it, it, it speaks to the fact that this is a big boy job. You need to yeah. you need to hire people to look over contracts when you sign an effing contract yeah. because these promotions are out to do things for themselves. Mm-hmm. PFL, UFC, Bellator, One FC, Ryzen, KSW. When they offer you a contract, they're not thinking, "Oh, here's the best deal for you." Yes, this is going to be so great for you. They're thinking about the best deal for them. Do not sign a three-year PFL Challengers contract. That is insane to me. If you're going to sign a three-year PFL deal, that's fine. But a, a contract for PFL Challengers, when I look at this story, Jason, I, I just – to me, this is clearly why any mixed martial arts fighter that is going to approach a PFL belt or UFC level needs a lawyer to mm-hmm. at least work with them with reading through a contract and communicating to them what's in the contract and what they can give back to the promotion. Uh, that's what this story is to me. I think the PFL should probably let him out just to be nice. But, yeah, the, this to me is a bad contract for any fighter to sign. Three years is a long time for something as little as PFL challengers. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and look, you bring great points. Yeah, you want you, you want to have a lawyer. And also, it, it goes back to uh, this clip I saw from Ariel's interview with Tim Simpson, the MMA manager, where he just talked about how easy it is becoming manager. In mixed martial arts, how there's not really much to it, especially when you think about you know what it takes to be, say, an agent in the NBA or the NFL. NFL thing, you know, because I've known people who've gone through that whole process, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're 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 spot on. You got to have the, I mean, the right people around you. You you do, and and I'm just saying, I don't care if it's your dream to do anything. If you sign a contract, you sign a contract. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, like, like that's important as an adult to figure that F that, 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 that out. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. And I do feel bad for him, and I hope he gets out. But I, I just want to make that clear. If you're an MMA fighter listening to this podcast, just getting started, I speak to you as someone who's like in the, you know, the pro wrestling world. I understand that. Contracts are a big-ass deal. People are looking to screw you. People are looking to screw you. Freaking be an adult. Get someone to read that. And, yeah, it is not just on your manager. It should be on yourself. I mean, yeah, if a manager has, a like, a contact – I'm sure a lot of these managers have contacts with, like, lawyers, and they just it, – it's a one-stop shot. Yeah. But it's worth going – independent of your manager and hiring a sports or an entertainment lawyer to look something like that over. Yeah. Or I mean, the best case scenario would be is that your, your manager also is a lawyer. Great point. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right about that. Uh, I agree. I mean, that's a pretty good scenario, but I do think there's a lot of advantages to like having different people. Okay. First off, financially it's a lot to have different people, but if you do have the finances to have different people, that cover like that are experts mm-hmm. in one specific area. Like, like I don't care how good of a manager and lawyer you are. It's really hard to be a great MMA manager and lawyer when you could just be one. And, and I know a lot of managers are lawyers, but still, I would still look for a specific contract expert. It's talking about last week's commercial arts action. And, and some of the kind of the notable things is I got to go to the second fight of the UFC show where Keith Peterson believes running Lawrence tapped he did not tap and so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of watching as this all unfolds and and you watch the replay and you're like yeah he did not tap I have no idea what Keith Peterson was doing there <laughs> but it's one of those things of we have replay in this sport and and I understand that I mean look it was a great position that Dan Argetta was in but like can we get away from if we go to replay, the fight's automatically over? Yeah, I agree with you. Why not start the fight in mouth? You know, or 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 why not give uh, Ronnie Lawrence the opportunity to like for Ronnie Lawrence, who he was in like basically a mount guillotine choke situation. Mm-hmm. Give the guy who got affected by the because like you can't just put Dan back in the guillotine choke. I think because you could be like ready, set, go, and then boom, he got he has like yeah. So maybe at the fighter's discretion, hey, are y'all okay with this fight continuing with Dan in full mount position? Like maybe a little more wiggle room to where the fight continues at the position of when where it was stopped at. And you just get the consent of, of both fighters to continue this contest because now both these guys got to wait, go back to the drawing board, and they just have that lame duck, no contest win. I mean, no, think about theme of this. You're Dan Argetta. You're celebrating because you think you just won and you got a second check coming your way. Sorry, Dan. That second check ain't coming your way anymore. Like, it, it's one of those things where, and, you know, we, we talk about mishaps in MMA officiating whether we're talking about referees or judges. And un- the unfortunate part is because of the way fighter pay is structured, the fact of you're, you're, you have a win, a show money and a win money. Like, I mean, let's just say Dan Argetta, let's just say he, he was on a 20 and 20 deal. He lost $20,000 because of the referee screwing up. Yeah. 
That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that he lose because of a screw up. And I feel bad for Keith Peterson because mistakes happen. You, we you all know, make mistakes. You know what the funniest part about this is, though? What's Dominic that? Cruz being on the call. Yeah, he smells like uh, as he said, cigarettes and uh, what did he I'm, say? He I'm, smell- I'm pre I'm pretty sure I've been told that Keith Peterson's day job is he's a diesel mechanic. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow, what I, I like Keith Peterson a lot. I think he's a cool dude. Yeah. Cruz accused referee Keith Peterson of smelling like alcohol and cigarettes after a controversial second round stoppage at USC two forty nine. That is crazy. Yeah, Dom Cruz should just not be allowed to commentate on Keith Peterson fights. He's he's a he's a he's he's got a bias, but um that is But hilarious. there's there's Look, got, I, there has to be a better way to utilize replay in fights. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It needs to be more flexible, and we need to get back to the fight, not just, hey, throw out a no contest. I agree with you. And I bet you'll get support amongst fighters uh, to, to, to allow replay, to allow a fight to continue once it gets there. Uh, another, By the way, we had another bad scorecard this past weekend. In the very first fight of the night, as Anthony Manus scores all three rounds for Modestus Bukakis. And I mean, look, I have no problem scoring the fight 29 28 for Modestus Bukakis. Personally, I had 29 28 for Zach Polga. But like the second round, it's one of those things when the scores get red and you hear 30 27, I'm like, neither one of these guys won all three rounds. Yeah. The second round I thought was the, the probably the clearest round, and that, I mean the first round I thought was kind of a, a a clear round for Modestus because he had the most damaging shots in the round. Even though Zach was able to get the fight to the ground, I thought the second round was a clear Zach Polga round. And third round, I think I was you know probably the last minute of the fight is probably what won Modestus the the fight on the judges' scorecards just because he was the guy going for it. Where I just thought it, when Zach started looking up at the clock with like two minutes to go in the, in the fight, I'm like, oh, that's not a good look. Yeah, he was tired. Um, so it's important you point that out because this is a result that's going to get lost. People are going to forget about this fight, and it's mm-hmm. just going to be another loss on Paga's record. But I mean, it was a close stand up matchup and. You go to the MMA decisions, even outside of the fact of like the one round thing, all but two of the MMA media members scored it for Pauga. So that tells you Pauga did a lot in this fight, but not a single person scored at 30-27. I would assume everyone gave round two to Zach Pauga. So for Anthony Manis, I mean, that's just a bad scorecard to give that round to Pauga. And, and, and that's one of those things where... When you look at what I want in MMA judging, it's accountability, and it's accountability when people don't care. People don't care about this round. But I would hope in Nevada there's a conversation being had with him about, hey, why did you score round two in this opening for this guy? Mm -hmm. Because that's a clear error. That is a clear mistake. There isn't really an interpretation of any type of judging criteria in any country in any year and that the sport has existed. Where you give round two to um, Modestus, so uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, right? Like we can talk main event, and we should, but it's important to talk about some of these things on the prelims that are that could get lost in the shuffle. How about Manuel Torres with that elbow knockout he had? I mean, I'm watching with some buddies, and we and when they showed the slow mo replay of that, I was like, oh my god, that is going yeah. to be on the UFC highlight reel for some time. 
Yeah, he did that slow I'll tell you. So I was watching a fight with a buddy who I would say casually watches mixed martial arts. And he goes, are they fighting in someone's garage? (laughs) I go, no, that's UFC Apex. We kind of forget that we're we're so used to it, but we're kind of forgetting that it looks pretty minor league. I mean, it looks like they're just doing the ultimate fighter. Um, That's hilarious. Look, I love me some Manuel Torres. This is not a guy I was thinking about at all. And now I'm excited for this lightweight fighter. I mean, this is his fifth straight first round finish. The elbow came so fast. I didn't even know what the hell happened. Oh, yeah. At first, when he, when he had knocked out, I was like, what did he hit him with? And then when you see the replay, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, you talk about on the button. I mean, and yeah, Nicholas Mata. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was out ASAP. Yeah, dude. So th- this was a fun card, too. I mean, maybe I, I, I go back and forth to whether I like this or PFL better. I mean, like straight up, dude. You had a Taurus fight was pretty good. Pat Sabatini was dominant against Almeida um, with his wrestling. Uh, you know, the Kong fight and Quinones was fun for a while it lasted. You had Christian Quinones drop Kong and then and Kyung Ho Kong ended up dropping him and then finishing him. Uh, Costin Flick was, was pretty fun. Christian Leroy Duncan at middleweight is an interesting fighter. Um, obviously he lost pretty much every round of Petrosian, but he fights very flashy and interesting. And, you know, the co-main event was actually a good Armin Sarukian fight. Usually they're kind of boring because usually he just dominates the grappling, but Hey, Joaquin Silva had him hurt a little bit there, uh, in that fight. So I had fun watching the UFC, uh, apex card. What I did like about uh, the post-fight comments from Jared Cannon here, of course, uh, Martin Vittori, uh, yeah, it's not good when you're going down the record book is getting hit the most times in a UFC fight. But I liked what, when Jared Cannon here was asked about Hamzat Chemaev, and he was like, is he ranked? Is he going to get me a title shot? I was like, that's about the best way to answer that, Jared Cannon here. I got another answer for Jared. Is he going to get you some money? I think that may be something he should look into. Because here's the thing, Jared. Here's the thing, Jared. You are one of the top middleweights in the world. You proved it. You went up against Marvin Vittori, and you were awesome. You were fantastic on the feet. And you also included some wrestling against Marvin, which is kind of surprising when you look at the skill set of Vittori. Cannonier had a complete performance. The problem for Jared is I really don't feel like there's an appetite for Cannonier and Adesanya too. No. I don't think the world is clamoring for that rematch. So you look for Jared, you look at what is the biggest matchup he could possibly have. There is not a close second behind a fight against Chimaev. So he should look really hard about that fight. Sure, he's not ranked. Sure, he hasn't got experience. But you know what he does have? A name. Kananir and Chimaev could be a headliner. It could be a co-main event on a UFC pay-per-view. It could be the co-main event for the Conor McGregor-Michael Chandler card. Think I bet this. Jared might be listening now. Hamzat Shemaev has not fought since September of last year. That's a shame. Think, think, think about how that. exciting I mean, that dude is. I mean, think about, like, when we think of fighters that you're like, if this guy is fighting or this female is fighting, I want to watch them fight. And Hamzat Shemaev is one of those guys, and we're coming up on a year in a couple of months since the last time we've seen him compete. Yeah, and that was a fight where, like, that was a first-round finish. Like, it wasn't – it was nothing. 
Um, that's crazy, man. Think of how excited we were for Chimaev, especially after the Gilbert Burns fight. Let's get this guy back in the cage, for the love of God. He, he's so exciting. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think a Cannoneer fight would be good, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Is there a specific Chimaev fight you want to see? And, and um, is it Whitaker if Whitaker loses to Dreykus? I mean, it, it, look, if Dreykus gets past Whitaker, that is totally the fight to make for Izzy. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, I, I think for Hamzat, I want to see him at 85. I, I just I kind of question whether or not he's truly um, is, is the right move for him to attempt to, you know, make it all the way down to 170. Like, but if I was going to look at 85, the fights that would, you know, to me, that would be interesting. Um. Like, if you were going to kind of give him someone more towards the lower top 10, maybe you give him someone like a Derek Brunson who might be able to keep the fight on the feet a little bit. Um, Paul Costa, which is obviously a fight that had been talked about, is, is an interesting one. Um, Vittori would make sense. I mean, I mean, Marvin is, to me, is becoming one. I mean, like... It's like I saw someone on Facebook write this. Who has the better chin, Max Holloway or Marvin Vittori? It's close, man. Marvin took a lot of big shots from Jared. I think Max probably does, but I don't know. Vittori is up there, and he's getting hit with some harder punches too. So maybe it's Vittori, but uh, you don't want to be known for having a good chin. There hasn't been an all-time great champion that was known for having a great chin because he didn't get hit in the face that much. Uh, so I just I just pulled up UFCstats.com, looking at Marvin Vittori. So uh, Jared Cannonier landed 241 significant strikes. If you would have told me, Jared K, if there if you said in that fight there's going to be one fighter scores four takedowns, the other scores one, we always said four takedowns from Marvin Vittori. We always said that. I, I think that's kind of the, the surprise of the fight. But when you look at the times that Marvin Vittori has taken over 100 significant strikes landed, uh, it happened against Paul Costa, where Paul Costa landed 163. Jack Hermanson landed 122. Now, both of those were actually were in victories. But this is a guy, uh, man, when when you get hit 241 times, sig- significant strikes, 257 total strikes. Like, man, like the crazy thing is in this fight, you're talking about these two guys combined to throw over 700 punches. I am tired just thinking about that. That is crazy. That was uh, it was a good fight. Who drafted this fight? Do you remember? Was it me or you? Uh, I think you did. I think you yeah, did. I think I might beat you this this year, man. This month. Well, I, mean, I had I had I had Sabatini Almeida. Luke Almeida's got to learn how to stop a takedown. Like I still have question marks about Pat Sabatini in, in terms of if the fight stays on the feet. But man, he is so talented on the ground. Yeah, dude, he is exciting. I I, I love watching that dude fight. This was a sneaky good fight card. Like I enjoyed it when it was all said and done. To be honest with you, um, I, I I I I dug it. I I thought this was a nice little apex card. All I gotta say though is like, thank God we're getting out of the apex next week. <laughs> like, thank God. I'm so tired. There's been so many apex cards, and I know we're going back for Strickland and. And Abu Supian Magomedov, which I just I just hope we stop going back to the apex. But we have another one with Home and Silva, and uh, let's see, yeah, stop going to the apex. UFC, it's pissing me off. 
Yeah, no. Well, at least they're, they're in front of fans this weekend. And I do know I did draft Ilya Taporia and Josh Emmett. I will tell you, I was, when I started looking at this card earlier this week, I was surprised how big of a betting favorite Ilya Taporia is. I mean, look, I understand why he is the favorite, but, you know, being a minus 335 betting favorite, I mean, it is kind of. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, Tapori is super talented, but I'm like, Josh Him is a tough dude. Like, I, I love this matchup, of course. By the way, it's an early start on Saturday. Prelims start 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. Main card, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, this will be a fight card that is on ABC. And, you know, the last time the UFC had a card on ABC, Dana White talked about that what they're really trying to do with these ABC cards is really trying to profile they're young and upcoming fighters, which to me tells me that they're they're kind of hoping that this is a showcase for Ilya Tapora, who, by the way, is 12 years younger than Josh Emmett in this one. But we all know Josh Emmett, man, he could pack a punch here. Um, you know, there's there's some other interesting matchups. I mean, uh, Amanda Hebos versus Macy Barber, that's your co-main event of the evening. Uh, Austin Lane, Justin Taffa, I... It's a, it's a, it's the lower end of the UFC heavyweight division in terms of these two guys, but the likely scenario is the reason that they're on the main card is someone's getting knocked out. Dude, Tapiria's biggest win is over Bryce Mitchell, and number two is like Damon Jackson, and he's going up against Josh Emmett, who just went on this run. Where he beat Calvin Cater, Dan Ige, Sherman Burgos, and, and Mursad Bektich. And Emmett is plus 260. Yeah. Jason, that's, you know, I'm well, think, starting think, to think about that. Think about this, though. Taporia has been scheduled for bigger fights, but for various reasons, they've not happened. Back in January 2022, he's supposed to take on Mozart Evelev, who's obviously one of the best prospects in this division. Evelev pulled out of that matchup. He was supposed to take on Charles Jordan uh, back in January 2022. That fight did not happen. Also, was supposed to take on Edson Barboza last year as well. That fight did not happen. So he, he's been in these situations where he's had some notable matches that just haven't come together. Um, yeah, This is a fight that, you know, I'm interested to see if Emmett try to utilizes his wrestling in this one, or if this is just a stand-up brawl between these two guys. Well, if it's a stand-up brawl, I, I like Ilya Taporia's chances in this one. Um, it, it's a tough fight to pick because it's your stereotypical Joe Silva matchup, as I, as I say all the time. Yep. It's clear that even though Ilya hasn't been there, done that, he has the potential to be there and do that. Like, he has the potential to fight for a championship in this division. The last few times we've seen him, look, his performance against Bryce Mitchell was like, damn, he took this dude to the woodshed. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was an ass-kicking performance. This guy's a straight-up ass-kicker and a face-puncher. He, he, he's great. Uh, Josh Emmett doesn't excite you, right? He is, he is the missionary position of this weight class. Which is, he's, he's, <laughs> which is underrated, underrated, and it's always great. Oh my God, that may be the best line you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. He's underrated, always great and consistent there for you. Don't take him for granted. He's always going to be there for you for years. And I tell you what, I like that position. So I'm going to go with Josh Emmett to win. This fight, I think he has more tools, more skill set, more experience. 
He's given up a lot of athleticism, given up a lot of excitement with the way Ilya fights, but I'm going straight missionary. <laughs> Best lie you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> I, you know, thank you very much. I, uh, you know, uh, I'll see myself out. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I like to pour in to win this matchup, but um, I, I think the fight is much closer than, than what the betting odds uh, have to put in this one. But I mean, look, Taporia is a guy that I, I think definitely has a pedigree to be a, a UFC champion uh, at, at some point. Uh, you know, looking also, I saw someone kind of talking about the David Onama fight this week, and it's kind of interesting that, of course, Onama was a guy that. Um, from day one was a James Krause guy. You know, Krause is who, who developed this. And, of course, they, uh, Nama has moved his training out to Factory X there in Colorado. But I saw someone mention, it's like, you remember when James Krause, like, it was a very much talking point in MMA, and, like, it's a story that has seemed gone away? I want a job where I work in government investigations because uh, you got a lot of time on your hands. I mean, I know they're doing their due diligence and they're working their butt off, but I'm impatient. Like, like it's been like a, a very, very long time since like Christmas, since this story broke. And we have not had much. I, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah. It's crazy. But I, you think the hammer will ever drop? You think we'll ever figure anything out? What has James Krause been doing? I'm wondering, and I saw this tweet from Ian Rappaport yesterday. It was talking about NFL players and gambling. Of course, we all know what's going on there. And so his tweet was uh, about a, a NFL conference call discussing league gambling policy and education. And these are six key rules for players. And when I saw this, my first thought is, I wonder if the UFC and maybe other mixed martial arts organizations will follow suit on this one. It said the six key rules for all NFL players. One, don't bet on the NFL. Two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. Three, don't have someone bet for you. Four, don't share team inside information. Five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. Six, don't play daily fantasy football. And it goes on to say more detail on rule number one, don't bet on the NFL. Don't ever bet on any NFL game, not even $1. Your team's games, another team's games, outcomes, point score, parlay, prop, future bets on NFL. Includes all NFL events such as NFL Draft, Combine, Pro Bowl, NFL Flag events, NFL Honors, and then it says more on rule number two, don't gamble at work, including from your phone. Don't bet on anything when you're at your team's facility or stadium, including the parking lot, on a team road trip, team bus, team plane, bus, car, hotel, on other team business. In summary, don't bet on anything while at work. And when I saw that tweet from, from Ian Rappaport, my first thought was, I got to wonder if Dana White, Hunter Campbell, the people over Endeavor, look at that and say, maybe that's what we have to institute for UFC fighters. Yeah, I, I think something along those lines, you're going to see that in not only the UFC, but in other sports. Just a really clear, clear, clear cut rule set that people can read and follow and make it simple. When in doubt, don't bet. It's not worth it when you're an active athlete. Uh, there's so much room for insider information that's illegal that will get you in federal prison, as they say. 
And uh, I do think, yeah, I think the UFC will adopt something like this. I mean, it's pre- that's pretty extensive, right? If you can't bet in the parking lot on a mm-hmm. random sports game, I mean, that's – I don't know how you can prove that, you know, if you're not on the Wi-Fi. Uh, I'm sure you can. You can Everything's traceable. But uh, that's pretty restrictive. Like what if uh, what if you're on the betting website – as you leave your house and you open up your Safari and you actually have it on your phone, you're like, oh, crap, crap, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you're a sports athlete, maybe just don't gamble on sports while you're a professional. I think that might be the uh, the way you live your, you should live your life. You know, give that part up as you're a pro athlete just to be on the safe side. It, look, it's, it's part of our world because of it is it, – there's so many states now that you can legally place a wager on, on – on a sporting event, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it, but it just, it, it's just one of these stories that it's like, it just it seemed to go away. And it's like, there's got to be something else going on, you know. Um, you know, I, I think kind of one of the next questions really with this is, is what happens with Jeff Molina with his uh, temporary suspension that he has right now with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which uh, is believed to be in related to all of this, you know. And it's just, it's one of those interesting things of, um, you know, it just seems like a story that ha- has gone away. Um, you know, when, when I look at this preliminary card on, on Saturday, um, you know, one guy that I've had a chance to, to speak to a couple of times, uh, Chepe Marscall, finally getting into the UFC. So kudos to him to finally get in the UFC. Uh, Trevor Peak, I would tell you, I think that may be, uh, if you're looking to make a wager on these fights, I might be looking at Trevor Peak wins by knockout in, in terms of that. I will tell you this, I think Phil Rowe as an underdog against Neil Magny is kind of an interesting underdog. Uh, in, in terms of this one, by the way, we got uh, we got 14 fights on Saturday, so plenty of mixed martial arts action to take in on, on Saturday afternoon. And God, God bless an afternoon card. I love it. I can just sit at home, like I mean, I can literally just lay, lay in the bed, just watch the fights. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is, man. And, and again, those top two fights—that's what's getting me to the TV set. I think when I look at the prelims, I'm also very excited to watch Jack Jenkins fight Jamal Emmers. Uh, Jenkins looked good last time out. So I'm looking forward to seeing him fight as well. So to think, the things that are getting me to the TV set is the Brendan Allen-Bruno Silva fight. That's a good middleweight main card scrap. The co-main event, Rebus Barber, Ilya, and, and Emmett. The heavyweight matchup you mentioned, Lane and Tahoe, will, will probably be pretty good. Randy Brown is taking on Wellington Terman is always an exciting fighter. And and uh, Jack Jenkins against Jamal Ember. So, I mean, that's getting me excited. But, yeah. Can, like we are just in the thick of it, right? If you're an MMA fan, you have been having a lot of mixed martial arts, right? You had that Bellator PFL UFC sandwich this week. You got UFC, and you also have uh, PFL wrapping up the uh, lightweight and welterweight tournaments. My boy Sadabusi, co-main event position. You know, last <laughs> last time out, last time out, he he shocked the world with the finish, right? The first finish he's had in the PFL since his. PFL uh, won in 2019, so I think that was the second season of the PFL. Um, Clay Collard, Stevie Ray, that's actually a good fight, so that's worth watching. Uh, OAM is probably going to run through Anthony Romero, and Shane Burgos is probably going to run through Yamato Nishikawa. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something to look forward to, but, uh, you know, Shane Burgos desperately needs a first-round finish if he wants to advance to the lightweight playoffs. He's he's in a big hole right now at 0-1. 
Yeah, I mean, just looking at the standings in the PFL lightweight division. So right now, if the playoffs were to start today, your four fighters in would be OAB, Collard, Miranda, and Schultz. Uh, all those fighters, by the way, only have three points. So this thing is wide open. And that's why I say, like, I, I, I love this stage of the PFL because you know you're going to have fighters. Like, if you're a Shane Burgos, you got to be hunting a first-round finish. Because, you know, you know you've got to get a finish to put yourself in some type of situation to have the ability to make the playoffs. You look at Stevie, I mean, you, you look at this right now. Shane Burgos has zero points. Stevie Ray has zero points. If Anthony Romero can come in and shock the world, he can find his way right into this this, this playoff season. So, like, that to me is what makes this car interesting. You, you look over to the welterweight side of this thing. So you have three fighters with six points, uh, and then Sabu C with five points. So, And then you only have one other fighter who actually has points, that being Lopez with three points. Everyone else uh, has zero points in this one. So like that, that, to me, is what makes this PFL card exciting just because of you know there are going to be fighters that are going to sit there and say, F it, I'm just going for it. Especially Shane, right? Because Shane has a reputation of being an exciting fighter. So you have him in a matchup where he's a heavy favorite and you know he needs to win. That's exciting. You know, Sadabusi, he's already got his finish for the year. So he may he may sit back and do some counter striking. But uh so, whoa, 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 by whoa, and large. You, you don't want to lay minus six fifty on Sabadusi? He's a six I mean, he deserves I mean, he's talented. Like I talk a lot of crap about him. Dude, the, these boring. these PFL betting odds. I mean, good lord. So this oh, is the wait. perfect place for Scott Coker. All right. <laughs> Pick up some of those Strike Force cards. Dude, it's crazy. So I'm over at Best Fight Odds. So uh, there's two sports books that have lines up on this one um, Bet MGM and Bet River. So I'm just looking at the Bet MGM. OAB is a minus 550 betting favorite. Sabadu C, minus 650. Shane Burgos, minus 650. Uh, Magomed Magomed Karamov, minus 1,000. Magomed Umatov, minus 700. This is crazy. The lowest odds on this card is the matchup between Alex Martinez and Bruno Miranda, where Martinez is a minus 130 betting favorite and Miranda is plus 105. Everyone else is at least a two to one betting favorite. That's crazy that everyone else is a two to one betting favorite, but it's believable when you see a lot of these matchups. But uh, it means that you're going to see a lot of finishes. That's what that means. You're going to see a lot of first and second round finishes. So it's worth the watch, but it's, you know. Eh. If I'm running the PFL, okay, and I'm looking to try to get the most publicity for my playoffs, why are we having Clay Collar fight Stevie Ray or Stevie Ray's guy try to, I mean, like to me, that would be two guys you'd want in the playoffs. You want Shane Burgos in the playoffs. I think that's why Shane Burgos got the matchup he got. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, at, there are only four spots, right? So, I mean, yeah, you want OAM, you want Stevie Ray in there, you want Collard, Burgos, but uh, there are only four spots. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know, but yeah, Shane Burgos has got – that's the one thing about the regular season. It's very similar to the NFL, right? Like like uh, Shane Burgos and Yamato Nishikawa – Shane is like the Kansas City Chiefs and like Yamato is like the Houston Texans. Like some weeks you're going to get those matchups where it might be a bit of a blowout. You know, Davis Mills going up against Patrick Mahomes. So it's nice. Get a little bit of a blowout and then we can go to the playoffs. But every once in a while, Davis Mills pulls off an upset against the New England Patriots. So you never know. Look, if I was a PFL, 
You know it would be a dream playoff match if, it, if I was them? What is it? Clay Collar versus Shane Burgos. That sounds like a fight of the year. That sounds great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, g- give me that before we get to whoever OAM sweeps in the finals. I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> OAM's going to win this tournament, bro. This guy's freaking good. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Now I, I've given up on Maurice Green. OAM is the next star of the future. <laughs> let me let me end the PFL Bellator discussion. Let me cap it with this. Let me tell you. Okay. Let me give you this question. You know, we saw Vadim Nemkov go out there, beat Yoel Romero, look mm-hmm. really good. Is he the most exciting hypothetical matchup for Francis? Or is there someone else on this Bellator heavyweight slash light heavyweight roster that you think has a better shot uh, of fighting in Ghanu? If we take into account that the PFL and Bellator come together, does that change what you think that first Francis fight is? Uh, right now, I mean, there's not a lot of exciting options out there. I mean, I, I saw a junkie story. It was labeled now. I think they put like together like five realistic components. It was JDS for Doom, the winner of the heavyweight uh, the season. Who was the other ones? Overeem. And then there was one other one. But like none of those like as a consumer. Whoa. Well, clearly to me, Ryan Bader is a more interesting matchup than any of those, right? Like off yeah. the top of my head, I think Ryan Bader is more talented than any of those guys right now. Like, is there anyone else on that Bellator roster that gets you excited for for Ngannou? Not really. I mean, if you want, if you want to put name value, maybe uh, Yoel Romero. Damn, that does not Rom- get me excited. Rom- Romero is, is talking about how he wants to fight t- till he's fifty years old. Um, I would say this when I was doing my Bellator rankings, the hardest part for me was the men's pound for pound rankings and trying to figure out where the hell to put uh, Patricio Pitbull after that lost. Um, but looking at, I'm pulling up the Bellator heavyweight rankings. Dude, there is no one outside of Linton Vassell and Valentin Modovsky. Maybe Steve Mowry is also part of that equation, but like, yeah, Gokun Sirakum, uh, no, that count doesn't me out. get doesn't get you all giddy. I mean, and that's and we've talked about this plenty of times. Is that's the biggest issue the PFL has is what who is the fighter you're going to put across the cage from Francis that's going to get the mixed martial arts fan excited. Yeah, Francis could have got a good fight if uh, if Fedor had pulled the rabbit out of his hat and beat Brian Bader. Imagine, I mean, yeah, Fedor looks so oh, God, lost. No, no. Yeah, I know you why, can't why, do that. Why, why, why do you want to see Fedor get killed? You you literally legally can't make that fight happen. That fight cannot happen. But uh, yeah, that <laughs> would have been big. But, but look, yeah, way, look, you know how you never believe retirements in MMA. Bigfoot Silva's retirement lasted eight days. Oh my God, what, what happened? He's he's already saying he wants to come. He wants to come out of retirement, and I'm just like, is there anyone around Bigfoot? I mean, like, I get there's there's a financial aspect to this, but I'm like, does there anyone around Bigfoot Silva that cares about him? Like that. That's the sad part to me. Is like, there's got to be someone around him that goes. Antonio, man, you got to call a career, man. Yeah, this is the saddest thing I've ever heard. What's oh, that? Man, I think he's was... lost 11 straight and they're all by knockout. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, he's disputed his last loss to uh, to uh, Salim El Usadi, who is six and one. They fought in France, um, so he's looking to get a rematch. Uh, yeah, eleven straight losses, most of them by finish, all but two by finish. Yeah, this sucks. What what a downer! What a downer to end this one. But uh, yeah, yeah, that is I, when you said retirement. I'm like, who retired? That's coming back. I don't know. <laughs> Bigfoot Silva. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Eight days, bro. Like it's it's just why you could never believe retirements in a sport. You just you can't like because unfortunately, there's always going to be someone who's willing to offer a fighter money to fight. And now, look, I think if Bigfoot Silva was to attempt to fight in the United States, I don't think he gets licensed. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I think there would be regulators that would sit there and go, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, I think you look at his history or if you just do any type of examination on his body, I think it would be pretty hard to license him. But specifically his history, I just think, yeah. Yeah, I just hope you would hope. Yeah, you would. I mean, it's just like, is there no one in his family that goes, "Stop, man! Why, why are you, why are you doing this?" Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting parallel between this situation and the Connor, where it's just like, is there no one in your family? Is there no one in your inner circle that is having that honest conversation with you? That's why it's important to surround yourself with people because we are not always in control of ourselves. We can lose ourselves. We can, 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 that can happen in this life. You know, we talk about mental health or whatever. You can, you can really lose yourself. So that's why it's so important to have people around you that grab a hold of you and bring you back down to earth. <laughs> grab a hold of you, grab you by the hand and be like, hey, man, you should not be fighting anymore. Stop it. I'm taking your gloves and I'm going home. Yeah, just. It's the it's sad part of the sport. I mean, it just really is. I mean, you know, I mean, Habib is kind of the only guy that to to leave this sport. You know, GSP, I guess, is, would be another one you put uh, to leave out of the sport, you know, where you're not looking up at the lights. Yeah, the, the, Cole Conrad is another one. Those are your, those are your big three. Yeah, uh, yeah but... Uh... Unfor- I, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I can I can walk into a bar for UFC 290. No one's going to know who Cole Conrad is. Yeah, but you know, if if, if I if I said who is Cole Conrad and someone at the bar knew who he was, I would be shocked. He'd be talking to one of his family members <laughs> or someone someone in the uh, the farming business. Yeah, yeah, he sounds like dairy products or something. I don't know exactly yeah. what he does, but uh, apparently he's really good at it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Cole Conrad. Yeah, out, out there training with Brock Lesnar, you know. You talk, yeah. You talk about names of the past. Uh, how many people would still remember his name? Yeah. By the talented way, talented fighter. With, you know what's going on with Brock? By the way, I don't really know. He, Cody Rose right now is wrestling Dominic Mysterio, uh, so I guess Brock's on the back burner until he's ready to come back. Uh, but yeah, I think Brock just has a really chill schedule. He'll come in do some matches. Um, good gig. That's that's what you tell me. He's got a good gig. He does, in fact, have a good gig. Yeah. But by, by the yeah. way, and speaking of Bellator, um, uh, you may have noticed they didn't have the ramp 
And the reason is, is a, yeah, it's just because of ticket demand. They got rid of the ramp because they had too many people wanting tickets. Wow. That's crazy. That's good business right there. Yeah, you're not, 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 you're not cutting off half the arena with the, with the curtain. No, got to take out the damn ramp to add more seats. That's a good problem to have. It's a damn good problem to have. That, that's, damn, look, that, that's the one thing that Bellator, Bellator does a good job of putting butts in the seats. They, they know who to get on those prelims. I mean, they might have 20 fights, but they, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it's some people like to call it the, the human sacrifice hour of the Bellator prelims because you know a bunch of first round fishes are probably happening. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, that's better than a bunch of decisions. It's better than a bunch of decisions, you know. Oh, you mean after watching Corey Anderson and, and Phil Davis fight for three rounds and you get another five rounds in the main event? And then another five rounds in the co main event also? That was all. <laughs> and also the fight before that with the distance? Damn. That was a really lame main card out of Bellator. <laughs> oh. Holy crap. Oh, I that know. Was not good. Oh, I know. I was sitting there and uh, I was watching it after I got got uh, home from a, a business uh, banquet. But uh, yeah, that was a, it was a long night of fights. No yeah. doubt about it. But, uh, but of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, we'll be back here next week to get you ready for all the mixed martial arts action. We'll talk about what happened this weekend. Of course, we've got UFC Jacksonville. Looking forward to watching those fights on the couch on Saturday afternoon. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. <laughs>